Welcome. Today is our 20th episode of Spurbs Herbs. Thank you guys very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. We have an exciting herb today. Today we're going to be talking about Huang Lian, Coptis rhizoma, also known in English as Coptis rhizome. As always, I am your presenter, Dr. Greg Sperber. And without hesitation, why don't we get into it? So if you are an acupuncturist, this podcast, as well as others, are approved for California Acupuncture Board Continuing Education Units and National Certification Commission for Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine Professional Development Activities at a reasonable cost. Please check us out at www.integrativemedicinecouncil.org. That's the website, Integrative Medicine Council, C-O-U-N-C-I-L.org, and you can get all your CEs taken care of. I have also written a couple of books, Integrative Pharmacology, Combining Modern Pharmacology with Integrative Medicine, and Playing the Game, A Step-by-Step -step Guide to Accepting Insurance as an Acupuncturist. Both of these are available at the shop on www.spurbsherbs.com, which you can get all sorts of information, see all of our, our uh, podcasts and all that at spurbsherbs.com. That's S-P-E-R-B-S-H-E-R-B-S.com. So today we, we actually have kind of a, a, a good long uh, podcast, so we have a little bit shorter or something different, and it's not going to be super something different. It's, it's an interesting one. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. It's about the three yellows. We're going to be talking about the three yellows today. And that's because our herb for today, Huang Lian, is one of the three herbs known as the three yellows, or in, in Chinese, it's known as San Huang. Uh, besides Huang Lian, Coptis rhizoma, these three include Huang Qing, Scutellaria radix, and Huang Bai, Philodendri cortex. All three herbs are in the clear damp heat category of herbs and are bitter and cold. They are often used together both internally and externally to treat heat toxins with dampness. It's, it, these, this combination is a very good dermatological herb as well as an internal herb. While there is a Chinese herbal formula with just these three herbs, the more commonly used formula, Coptis decoction to resolve toxicity, Wang Lian Jeju uh, Tang, uh, I often say Huang Lian Jeju San, which means powder as opposed to Tang, which is decoction, adds Gardenia fructus jerza to these three yellows. And this formula is, is quote unquote the standard formula to clear heat and resolve toxicity in Chinese medicine. When th and that may sound a little esoteric for those not in Chinese medicine, but it's it, when we say clear heat, resolve toxicity, we're often, not always, but often talking about infections. And so these are very good for in infections of all sorts. These three herbs work so well together because Huang Qin addresses issues in the upper burner, especially in the lungs. So, I, you know, I've referred to the three burners several times in these podcasts. I still haven't done a deep dive into the three burners, but this is a special uh, organ in Chinese medicine. And so, and it's broken. It's called the three burners. So, uh, Huang Qin addresses issues in the upper burner, especially the lungs. Wang Lian addresses the middle burner. And Huang Bai addresses the lower burner in kidney and bladder issues. So, all three burners are hit with this combination of herbs. Together, 
They're very effective for draining damp feed from all three burners, which basically means the whole body. You know, outside of the three burners, we're talking the limbs, basically, and the head. They are also quite antimicrobial and have been found effective in bacterial, viral, and parasite infections. And, and one of the unique things about it is they do not seem to engender antibiotic resistance. So they're really good for, for that. Now, the antibiotic resistance may be because they're not used um, frequently in any given individual, but if it for some reason does avoid antibiotic resistance, this could be a really powerful tool. And I've found it to be a very powerful tool in, in my clinical practice. Sometimes a fourth yellow is added, da huang, which is translated as uh, big yellow, da huang, as big yellow. So da means big and huang means yellow. And this one is ray radix et rhizoma, or, or rhubarb root is what this herb is. And this is a purgative herb that is also bitter and cold and has similar functions as the three yellows. It's a little bit stronger than the three yellows, any of the individual, the three yellows and adds a big punch uh, to, an, uh, to any formula that it includes. And I, I love one of the quotes on, on rhizoma ray, and we'll, I'm sure we're gonna have a, a, a podcast as for herbs on it soon. But what it, um, it's as the general that kicks in the door and unclogs anything that needs to be clogged, that is clogged, so, or accumulated, that's a more technical term. So it's a, it's a really useful herb, but it's a strong herb. And so combined with these other three, becomes a very strong combination in the four yellows. So there we go. And with that as a little bit of an introduction, let's get into today's herb, with which is Huang Lian. And we're going to start with an herbal legend. Uh, I think I've, I've said before, we have, I have a, a great little book that's called The 50 Herbal Legends. So only about 50 herbs out of 300, so not all of them are included in this, but these are 50 strong, you know, really important herbs. And there's all these herbal legends around it. It's, it's really cute. It's from China. It's, it's a translation out of the Chinese. And so I, when I can, I always like to include the herbal legend. So here is the herbal legend of Huang Lian. A long time ago, in the mountain of Ba Mount, lived renowned Dr. Dao, who had a beautiful garden where he grew hundreds of medicinal herbs. One day, Dr. Dao left town to see patients. Before leaving, he hired a helper, Mr. Huang to take care of his garden. It was a freezing morning in January. Along the road to the garden, Mr. Huang found lots of little wild plants with beautiful greenish white flowers. They were so beautiful, beautiful, especially in cold winter time, that Mr. Huang could not help moving those pretty little things into the garden. Dr. Dao had a lovely daughter whose name was Mei Juan. One day she suddenly fell ill she felt a sensation of dry heat. She also had symptoms of vomiting and diarrhea. Three days later, she was in a coma. Several doctors came to cure her disease, but left without result. The worst sign was blood in Mei Juan's stool. She was almost at death's door, and no one knew how to save her. By chance, Mr. Huang remembered those pretty flowers he thought that maybe those wild plants could help. Immediately, he rushed to the garden, dug up some of those plants and their roots, washed and boiled them with water. Then he had Mei Juan drink the boiled water. A few hours later, Mei Juan felt much better. After drinking it twice more, Mei Juan unexpectedly, unexpectedly recovered. When Dr. Dao returned home, 
He asked about his daughter's symptoms and then knew that her disease was the accumulation of heat in the intestine and stomach. The method to cure it was to clear away heat and toxins. Therefore, he knew that those plants must have those actions. After many clinical trials, Dr. Dow concluded that this kind of plant was the medicinal herb for clearing away heat and toxins. Because the helper's name was Huang Lian, Dr. Dao named the herb Huang Lian to commemorate him. Since then, Huang Lian has joined the big family of medicinal herbs. For Mei Juan, Mr. Huang was the real hero who saved her life. Doubtless, she married Mr. Huang shortly after the incident. That's an, a nice little story. It's, it's to the point. It's not, not one of the more exciting ones, but it's, it's to the point. It's cute. All right, so let's get into some of the specifics about Huang Lian today. Its family is, is uh, Ranunculaceae. Nope, excuse me. Let me try that again. Ranunculaceae is the family for Coptis. And we've seen this before. We're going to see that in just a minute. And there's a lot of really good medicinal herbs that come out of this family. The specific species for Huang Lian is Coptis chinensis franch. Uh, and uh, other species that are sometimes uh, associated with this is Coptis deltoidea, C.Y. Chung and Chow. Uh, those are the, the discoverers. That's what the, those names come in. And this in Chinese is Sanjiao Ye Huang Lian. And another one associated with Huang Lian is Coptis Tita Wall, uh, which is in Chinese Yun Lian. Its medicinal part is the rhizome, which is a rootlet, basically. English translation of Wang Lian is yellow link or connection. So it connects, which makes sense. It, it affects the middle burr, which is the connection between the upper and the lower. So that makes sense. Other names for Wang Lian include gold thread or Chinese gold thread, even Japanese gold thread sometimes. Uh, anemone um, grown landica. This is a, uh, a Latinate uh, binomial. So that's a, a probably an incorrect species name, but it's along these lines. Kinker root, yellow root. In Japanese, it's orin. In Korean, it's huangyan. Again, I should always say that my, my Chinese my is not very good, but I keep trying. I've had several years. My Japanese and Korean are non-existent, so I apologize for any of my pronunciations. And other Chinese names for this is chuanlian, yalian, weilian, Jijualian and Wanglian. Now, sometimes these are synonyms, and sometimes they mean something specific, like it comes from a specific area, or it might be of higher or lower quality. So, Bensky, remember we look at three major books uh, when we're comparing these herbs. Um, Bensky and his team, Chen and Chen, and Brand and Wiseman, those are the three author, you know, teams of authors for these three books. And they disagree with each other, which I love because that tells us, that gives us a lot of information about the herbs. So Bensky and his team says the dosage is 1.5 to 9 grams. Chen and Chen says it's 2 to 10 grams per day. And Brandon Wiseman is 1.5 to 10 grams. So they're all right in the ballpark. There's no di super discrepancies here. I mean, discrepancy between 1.5 and, and 2 grams on the low end and 9 and 10 grams on the, on the high end is not a big discrepancy. So let's talk about that um, Ranunculaceae family again. We already discussed this family in regards to Bythorn, Pulsatilla in episode 16. So it was just a few episodes ago. 
There are 43 genera and 2,000 known species in this family of buttercups or crow's foots flowering plants. So these are flowering plants, often known as buttercups or crow's foot, crowfoots. It translates, the, the, the Renanunculaceae translates from the Latin as little frog, which is interesting. Uh, they are mostly herbaceous annuals or perennials, but there are some woody climbers and shrubs. The flowers are bisexual, and several genera in this family are important in Chinese herbology and other traditions, including aconite, simicifuga, and clematis. And we haven't even talked about the pulsatilla, which I just mentioned, and here's coptis. So there's a lot of really important uh, herbs that come out of this family. All right, so that's a good introduction to the family. So the categories, very, very similar, but these are translations. Um, usually they use the same book as a, as a source, so I'm always curious about the translations. But uh, So they're, they're similar. Uh, Bensky says it is an herb that clears heat and dries dampness. Chen Chen states it's a heat-clearing and dampness-drying herb. And Brandon Wiseman similarly classifies it as a heat-clearing, dampness-drying medicinal. Uh, some of the, the hyphens are a little bit different in, in these things, but basically they're all saying the same thing. It clears heat and it dries, drains, dampness. All agree it is bitter and cold and enters the heart, large intestine, liver, and stomach organs. So a wide variety of, of organs. Bensky, both Bensky and Chen and Chen um, both agree that the original source of this herb is the Shendong Ben Jing, the Divine Husbandsman's classic of the Materia Medica that was written in the second century CE. So that is significant because that is the first at least existing book on individual herbs. So if an herb is included in that book, it means it's been around as long as any other herb, basically. So this is one of uh, the first herbs. So Wangyang quality, according to Bensky, good quality consists of big complexes of rhizomes and roots with long rhizome parts with no or only short or smooth inner nodes and no hairy roots or scaly leaves. The surface should be yellow or yellowish brown, the cross-section golden yellow, and the taste extremely bitter. This is a very bitter herb. When I use this or any of the three yellows, it's, it's gonna be, it, it can stain yellow, and it's gonna be very bitter in taste. Zhao and Chen, which is a book on quality of herbs, says superior grade is thick, Strong and firm with a reddish-yellow fractured surface. No remnants of stems and hairy rootlets. In addition, they continue to say that high quality does not have the characteristic of crossing the bridge. This guo qiao in Chinese means a long, thin portion of the rhizome that is found between nodes, like a bridge crossing the two sides. I have a picture of this. I'm still not sure I, I picture exactly what they're talking about in their book. Beautiful book. To help determine Coptis chinensis from other similar species, it should gather in a cluster, be shaped like a chicken's claw, be three to six centimeters in length, and a diameter of 0.3 to 0.8 centimeters. Again, that's all from this book on, on quality of herbs by Zhao and Chen. what are its Chinese medical actions? According to Bensky and his team, Huangliang has several Chinese medical actions. Clears heat and drains dampness in the stomach or intestines with diarrhea, 
or dysentery, as well as acid regurgitation or vomiting due to stomach heat. It drains fire and resolves fire toxicity. It clears heat and stops bleeding, especially nosebleeds or blood in the stool, urine, or vomitus due to hot blood. So when blood has heat in it, we say it becomes reckless and can exit the, the vessels. And so we see things like this and often bruising, but that's, that's not necessarily for this herb. Uh, this herb doesn't necessarily treat that. It's more for blood in the nose, in the stool, in the urine, or in vomitus, if someone vomits. Clears heat topically for red and painful eyes and tongue and mouth ulcers. And as I said, I will often use it in dermatological uh, uh, formulas uh, uh, on other parts of the body. Chen and Chen has very similar actions. Clears heat and dries dampness, especially in the stomach intestines. Sounds exactly the same. Sedates fire, especially liver and heart fire. So that's, that's interesting. And I find it interesting, you know, we've talked about the stomach and intestines, which are part of the middle burner. Remember we said Huang Leon is a middle burner herb. The liver is also part of the middle burner, so it makes sense that it affects the liver. The heart is more about the, the upper burner, so it's, it's a little bit different here, but it's, it's useful because it actually gets into some five-element correspondences. I'm not going to get into all that right now, but that's part of the reason why it affects the heart as well, so it's very good. And then finally, Chen Chen says it clears fire toxin, especially dermatological disorders. So again, I really like it for dermatological disorders. Brown and Wiseman have their own actions and subactions. It says they say it clears heat and dries dampness. So again, we're we're seeing that in the stomach and intestines. So again, that's across the board. They all agree that it does that, and it also drains fire and resolves toxins. So nothing super major, maybe some slight differences in the terminology or the translations, but very similar. So Huang has some interesting thoughts about Wang Lian. Now, remember Huang is, he wrote the 10 key formula families and Coptis is one of those 10 key formula families. So he has a lot to say about Huang Lian, though not as much as some of the other herbs in, the, in that book. And so it's, a, it's uh, always interesting to get his perspective on this. And he says it's an herb with an extensive scope of use. It is used to clear fire and heat in the following conditions, heart fire, stomach fire, liver fire, damp heat, and heat toxins. So these are all very technical Chinese terms. And uh, I think in, in, a, in a more general way, what we're really talking about is infections in a lot of, uh, is, is not the only way you can get these conditions but often is a, is a way that we can do it. And I think it's an easy way to kind of put it in a Western perspective. Wong continues with his thoughts and he says a Coptist presentation has three aspects. And I like the way that Wong does these things. He, he has in, for each of the 10 key formula families, he has a presentation of that herb. And this is what you expect to see in all um, cases or something similar in all cases that are going to use any of the formulas in that key family. So looking at a Coptist presentation, I think is really useful for us to understand this. And what he says is actually, uh, he, he gives three groupings of this. The first one includes irritability and restlessness, which he actually says is the key sign or symptom. Um, without irritability and restlessness, you're not in the Coptist presentation. So we expect some irritability and restlessness or palpitations, especially if it's affecting the heart, insomnia, 
unclear consciousness or a subjective feeling of feverishness. So that's that heat that we're talking about. So that's number one. Number two is digestive tract symptoms such as epigastric focal distension, stomach ache, abdominal pain, diarrhea, or nausea and vomiting. And that, that is really one of the things that Coppice excels at is, is abdominal and, and uh, stomach and small intestine issues. And finally, number three, uh, we expect to see a red or dark red tongue body that is tough and firm with a greasy, thick or thin yellow coat and a somewhat dry tongue surface. So when we see all three of these signs, we know we're looking at Coptis and one of the formulas that has Coptis in it. Uh, and, and it gives us a good idea of what kind of to expect when we see this herb being used. And finally, for Chinese medical actions, it is in the Divine Farmers Materia Medica, the Shendong Ben Sao Jing. And it says some interesting stuff. You know, remember, this is the first existing. So often there's a little bit of, of, of spiritual, you know, spiritual spirits and, and a little bit of Chinese magic involved with some of these, these herbal things. It is considered a superior class herb, which means that it can be taken with some frequency and that it is not overall incredibly harmful, though. I think we're going to have a little bit of a question later on about that. But, but the Shenangon Ben Sojing says Huanglian is bitter, non-toxic, and mainly treats heat chi, eye pain, injured camphi, those are the edges of the, of the eyes, and tearing. So this is what I hear a lot is this is going to the eye. It's a big eye. In fact, the next point is it brightens the eyes and treats intestinal evacuation. In other words, everything is going out of the intestine. So lots of diarrhea, abdominal pain, dysentery, and female genital swelling and pain. And protracted taking may improve memory. So I think in modern times, we do not recommend protracted taking of this herb. It can cause lots of issues because it's very bitter, very cold. We'll talk about some of those concerns in a few minutes. Um, and uh, so there we go. And I, I can't, for me, in my knowledge, I can't figure out why it might improve memory along the way. So, but that's originally what it was said to help with. So Western uses uh, of this herb are, are hard to uh, come by. This herb is used mo almost exclusively as a Chinese herb. WebMD has several uses for this herb that look similar to Chinese uses. So digestive problems, skin infection caused by uh, Lishmania parasites. So that's very specific skin issue. Sexually transmitted infection caused by trichomonas vaginalis or trichomoniasis. And finally, scaly, itchy skin, skin, such as in psoriasis. So again, several dermatological reasons for using this. The, the one aspect I would say um, when using this on skin is the, usually use it with at least another one or two of the, the three yellows. And altogether, it can actually stain the skin for a while until it sloughs off. So uh, th that yellow um, berberine, which we're going to talk about, is actually used as a dye, a yellow dye. And so uh, it can stain for a while. Not just, of course, skin, but clothes and sheets and stuff that you might lay down after using it topically. So let's talk about some of the commentary. These are uh, comments that are in these, these books. Uh, and generally, Bensky has a very thorough commentary on all the herbs, and it does in this case. And it actually discusses some interesting aspects of this herb. Its intense coldness enables it to cool heat and resolve toxicity. 
its intense bitterness enables it to drain fire and dry dampness. Hence, its importance in the treatment of damp heat, constrained fire, and heat toxin. It is best at draining heart and stomach fire while clearing damp heat from the stomach and intestines. A translated passage from Rectification of the Meaning of Materia Medica by Zhang Shan Lei. Coptus rhizoma is very bitter and very cold. Bitterness dries dampness. Coldness prevails over heat. It can drain and direct downward all excessive damp fire and can treat all heat in the heart, spleen, liver, and kidneys and all fire in the gallbladder, stomach, and large and small intestines. In the upper body, it clears eye disorders due to wind and fire. In the middle, it calms nausea and vomiting due to pathology of the liver and stomach. In the lower body, it unblocks dysenteric disorders with abdominal pain. All of this results from its drying dampness and clearing heat. In addition, bitterness enters the heart, clearing and scouring out blood heat. So that's that heat in the blood that I was talking about earlier. Zhang continues to say that it is important for this herb to be combined with other herbs to treat these conditions. Many of these combinations will be discussed soon. We have a lot of combinations to go over. We're going to do that. Chen and Chen comment that both this herb and Swan Zhao Ren, Semen Sisyphe Spinose, treat insomnia. Wang Lian addresses excess fire in the heart, disturbing the Shen or spirit. So Shen is a, is a Chinese word for spirit. And what we mean by that is, is sort of the spirit of a person, like a good spirit, you know, like you have, you're spirited, you know, that would be kind of uh, a use for that in, in uh, English. Swan Ren treats heart and liver of acuity with lack of nourishment in the heart and shen. So a little bit different. So Huang Lian is excess and Swan Ren is vacuity, basically, is a, is a good differentiator between these two herbs when used for insomnia. There are several different preparations for Huang Lian. Dry fried coptis or chow Huang Lian moderates the cold ability to avoid injuring the yang qi of the stomach and spleen. Some say this preparation allows the herb to enter the blood, cooling blood heat and resolving toxicity. There's ginger coptis, which is jiang huang lian. This focuses the herb's cooling action on the middle burner where it cools stomach fire and heat, alleviating the nausea and directing the rebellious qi downward. So dry frying is exactly what it sounds like. You're frying it up fairly dry with no, um, you know, in a pan with no oil or anything else. Ginger, um, coptis is, uh, it, there's a couple things. We're going to see a couple other herbs here that may be used in the preparation of Fong Lian. And uh, it can mean a couple different things, um, but definitely ginger is involved in, in uh, the preparation of this Jiang Huang Lian or ginger coptis. And in general, ginger is very good for that middle burner for, for digestion, for warming the stomach and intestines. So it makes sense. Uh, it kind of balances out a little bit um, what's going on with the, the long lian, but directs it more towards the, the, that stomach. And so that's very cool that it's used in combination. Wine fried coptis, jiu huang lian, lifts the action of this herb to the head and eyes and cools upper burner 
fire. So you can actually, by preparing the different preparations, you can kind of direct where the herbs will go to. And, and um, wine fried, usually when we're saying wine, we're, we're talking about sorghum or rice-based wines as opposed to our, our wines we would drink our grape-based wines and so uh, and a little bit of that is used when frying it up as a preparation so uh, that's Jiu Huang Lian we have an interesting one Avodia Coptis or Yu Huang Lian and this is where Avodia fructus or Wuzhu Yu is boiled and removed Huang Lian is added absorbs the water and then it's dry fried or baked Wang Lian, prepared this way, focuses on clearing and resolving damp heat at the qi level. So qi level is talking about the four levels, uh, and we haven't had a huge explanation of those at this point. We're not going to get into that at this point. It's a technical sort of thing, but we'll, we'll get into it at some point. The four levels are certainly make an interesting something different. It is often used, uh, the, this um, Yu Huang Lian or Vodia Coptis, is often used for damp heat, leading to diarrhea and nausea, or for liver and stomach disharmony with liver fire constraints causing acid regurgitation, belching, or nausea. So this again is a really interesting combination because uh, Vodia Fructus Wuzhuyu is a very warming herb, while Coptis is a very cooling herb. So it's kind of a combination they kind of balance each other out. But the same token, Avodia fructus wujiu does go to the stomach and small intestines. And so it makes sense that um, this is going to help direct it and really work it that way and, and include some liver aspects in, into that as well. So it's a, a very interesting preparation method that I haven't seen before. Salt water fried coptis. So this is frying the coptis in salt water is uh, Yan Shui Chao Huang Lian, and it reduces its dryness and focuses its effects on the lower burner, clearing fire to protect kidney water. So usually salt water, we think, we say goes to the kidneys. So that's, that's great. It's another way we can direct how this herb will actually function. And it also, uh, salt water will also help retain some fluids. And so again, it reduces its dryness because of that. So it's a, it's a very interesting preparation here. And finally, we have charred coptis or Huanglian Tan, which guides the effects into the blood level where it clears heat, cools the blood, stops bleeding, and alleviates dysenteric disorders. And again, this is a very common preparation that we see with a lot of herbs is charring. And we do say that whenever you char something, it enters the blood, it clears heat, stops bleeding. Stops bleeding is, is a, a major function of this, the charring process. So, and that's really, you know, it, it has an explanation in the book of how you char it, but basically you, you cook it until it's charred is basically uh, the short thing. I like kind of talking about these preparations because we, we, we get to see a lot of differences that in from the herb just based on the preparations. Are these used a lot in modern times? Sometimes if someone uses uh, a lot of raw herbs, which I think is becoming less and less, I think most practitioners are going to prepared herbs uh, in many different forms and also granules. And um, so these preparations become less important when you're, you're selling those sort of things. However, granules, if you look hard and on some herbs, you will see some preparations that you can purchase uh, so that the herbs are actually prepared and then made into granules. 
So it can be very useful to know this. And it's one of those areas where I'm, I'm interested uh, in it because I, I, we didn't learn a ton of it when I was going through school. So I, I like learning about these different preparations as well. So there we go. So let's move on. Let's move on to combinations. There are a lot of basic combinations of this herb with numerous traditional functions. I already mentioned the three yellows. Um, here we'll cover several selected ones, but this is by no means a complete list. Uh, in fact, one of the comments says uh, that you really don't use this herb alone, that you always use it in some form of combination. So we see that a lot. So um, here, the first one we already kind of talked about with the preparations with Avodia fructus, Wujuyu, becomes a combination of hot and cold herbs and treats heat in the liver channel, causing liver and stomach disharmony. So that's, a, that's uh, we often will use opposite herbs, opposite functioning herbs, and allows the body to kind of um, regulate between, uh, between those two herbs to do what it needs to do. So I, I like that combination of opposite, so hot and cold herbs here. With cinnamomum cortex rogue, which again is, is a hot herb, reestablishes harmonious communication between the heart and kidneys. That's a very different sort of combination. With Aglandia radix or Mushiang, the combination of one yin and one yang herb, one cold and one hot, one opening acrid flavor, that would be the Mushiang, and one downward directing bitter flavor, which would be the, the Coptis, creates a powerful heat clearing and dampness drying effect that facilitates the flow of qi to guide out obstruction. Very interesting. That sounds very powerful combination, Mushiang and Pongliang. It is used with Anamarania rhizoma or Jermu, and this acts strongly to clear stomach heat and direct fire downward while concurrently drying dampness without harming the normal yin fluids. So Jermu is a, is a great herb. It is a drying herb. It is a dry, it's a, um, sorry, not drying herb. It's a clear heat herb. It's the opposite of drying. It actually is one of the few herbs that clears heat without drying. And it actually moistens a little bit. And so that's why it says uh, it concurrently dries dampness without harming, harming the normal yin fluids. So um, it's a very unique herb. It is, I, I like the herb a lot. And it's, it's very unique in its actions with that clearing heat, but moistening at the same time. So with Scutellaria radix, Huangqing, so this is one of those three yellows that we talked about, and we have a lot to talk about here because this is a very common combination. So Huangqing, remember, is the one that goes to the upper burner. So traditionally, Huangliang acts primarily to drain fire from the heart and stomach, while Huangqing clears heat from the lungs and stomach. The combination is thus best suited for draining pathogenic heat from the upper and middle burners. It is often used for damp heat that is accumulated in the intestines. In addition, Huangqing cools the blood in order to quiet the fetus in pregnancy, while Huangliang clears heat to alleviate nausea. The combination is therefore useful in pregnancy when nausea occurs with heat disturbing the fetus, though it should only be used in small doses and for short periods of time. In general, in pregnancy, we don't use downward draining herbs because there are things, you know, you can initiate uh, issues with, with the baby. So we generally don't use it. So if we are going to use this small doses, short periods of time, in fact, one of the contraindications that we're going to talk about is don't use this during pregnancy. So even though this is a very interesting combination, um, it has to be used very judicious, judicious, 
Okay, I say judiciously, you want to make sure that there's heat involved. If there's no heat, a lot of harm can happen here if used in pregnancy. Other common combinations include Asari Urba or Shishin, Asini Kori Kala or Ajiao. That is, um, a, we translate it as acide glue, so it's glue from, from donkeys. Uh, so that's a, an animal product, so some people definitely won't use that. Babuse Kalas Intanium or Juru, this is um, from the bamboo plant. Bume Fructus Wume, which is plum. Um, is uh, is uh, bitter pl or, um, salty plum is wume, and that's a very good herb for the digestion. Juru, uh, the bamboo colus tanium is clears heat. Jiao uh, is really used to to build blood, and then asari herba shishin. It's a difficult herb to get these days. It's not exactly banned, but it's not exactly free flowing at this point. Uh, basically, due to some research saying that it had some harmful constituents, though later s research said it was adulteration, that this herb actually doesn't have those constituents, but um, Border Patrol hasn't really, uh, you know, Customs hasn't really figured that out, so it's hard to get sometimes. Uh, and that is a, a very warming, uh, exterior-relieving herb, and so it's a good herb. All right, so let's talk about the contents of Huang Liang. The, the, the main constituent of Huangliang is berberine, and that is an alkaloid and gives it its distinctive yellow color as well as apparently a lot of its medicinal actions. I did say that berberine is used as a yellow dye, so that explains uh, the yellow color and, its, and some of its other uses other than, than medicinal uses. There are other alkaloids in this herb, including coptacine. So again, this has the name of the herb in it, so that usually means it's Fairly, they either discovered it in that herb or it's fairly contained. Not many other herbs will have the same constituent. Epiberberine, so this is similar, of obviously, to berberine. Um, there's a lot of these, uh, like berberubine, palmitine, clumbamine, uh, jatorizine, warenine, magnophorine, berberastine, and grolandicine. So those are all alkaloids. Uh, phenolic compounds include 3,4-dihydroxyphenylethylalcoholglucoside, 3-carboxy-4-hydroxyphenoxyglucoside, and ferulic acid. Quercetin is a flavonoid, uh, which is also, when I looked at the research, quercetin is, is, used, is looked at a lot for medicinal uses as well. And then other compounds include uh, lumicaruleic acid, Oboculeic acid, obacunone, and obaculactone. So those are some of the contents. And like I said, the big one is berberine, and some others are, are useful as well, like the quercetin. I've seen, um, I think, epiberberine in some of these, these studies as well. So let's talk a little bit about berberine. It's said to have several types of pharmacological activity, including improving the activity of the digestive system, antimicrobial activity, central nervous system effects such as being anxiolytic, so it helps anxiety, antidepressant, neuroprotective, it protects our nerves, and antinociceptive, which means that it acts on the nerves to prevent pain reception, reception. So it actually tamps down the pain response. 
It's also vasorelaxant and antihypertensive, potentially. So this all came from uh, Badal and Delgota, which is a, a book on pharmacognosy, and that's looking at all these chemicals and what they do. Um, one of my, I, I think that's really useful and important to look at. However, often when you look at the research that they're quoting, it's animal research or bench research, which does not mean that it may, it's, uh, that these things happen clinically. And you see that a lot when I talk about the science of this herb as well. So we gotta take this with a little bit of a grain of salt. We see these effects, but we see them in rats and we see them in cells. We don't see them in the human after they, they take them in necessarily. I'd have to look at all the different things, but that's been my general, when I, when I view these things, that's what I've seen. So um, interesting at potential activities, but I'm not sure they've been clinically proven at this point. In fact, I'm gonna go so far as to say they have not been clinically proven at this point. So let's talk about the science. So Chen and Chen states, um, Huanglian is uh, antibiotic, antipyretic, anti-inflammatory, cholagogic, which helps bile acid formation. Uh, oh, I should go back on. So antibiotic is uh, obviously helping, uh, is against bacteria. Antipyretic means it lowers fevers, which makes sense if it's a cold herb. Anti-inflammatory, often when we clear heat in Chinese medicine, we're often being anti-inflammatory. Cholagogic helps bile acid formation. That's that middle burner function. It's a perfect sort of interface between the liver and the intestines. And that's where the gallbladder is and the bile is important and, and um, both of those are important. Bile acid formation, anti-ulcer, anti-diarrheal, and as a local anesthetic. So that's an interesting use of this herb that we haven't heard before. They continue to list some Chinese studies showing positive effects in treating bacterial dysentery so I'm including with this, this is N greater than 1,000. So that what that means is those studies had over 1,000 subjects. So N is the number of subjects. And generally, we're looking for an N um, it, just to be able to do statistics and have any statistical ability to mani manipulate numbers. We want an N of at least 30 to 40. And then the higher it goes, the better off it is. So this has an N of over 1,000. So that's a fairly good-sized study. That's a pretty darn good-sized study that this helps treat bacterial dysentery, which is one of, traditionally one of its major functions, so it makes sense. It, has, it also treats acute gastroenteritis, so this is uh, in inflammation and pain in the, in the stomach and intestines, and that had an N of 100. So um, smaller, much smaller, bigger than that statistical, but still kind of a smallish study. Pulmonary, it can treat pulmonary tuberculosis with an N of 100. So again, in that medium category, can help superative otitis media. So this is pus uh, coming out of middle ear infection. So that's an issue when there's no N given on that. Arrhythmias, so these are heart arrhythmias, an N of 50. So that's considered a really small study. Uh, hypertension with an N of 88. So eh, still kind of smallish. And osteomyelitis, again, 87 is the N. Um, so again, kind of smallish. Osteomyelitis is inflammation and, and infection of the bones and, and muscles. That can be a very painful condition. So generally, these were kind of smallish, though potentially statistically significant Chinese clinical studies. Um, without looking at the studies, and most of these are in the in the Chinese language, I've I've tried to look up a lot of the studies that are in Chen Chen's book, 
and have not gotten, um, you know, I'll get a, a uh, often I'll get a, um, an abstract of it, but I won't be able to get into the actual uh, study because it's Chinese. It's in Chinese and I don't read Chinese that well. Uh, however, I, you know, when you look at the methods, when I've been able to look at some of the methods of these, they're, depending on the age, um, they're a little bit questionable methods in, in modern day clinical studies. So I, I like to take a lot of these studies with a grain of salt. I do think it's cool, especially this bacterial dysentery, because that is a traditional use of this and we're seeing some support with it from science. I think that is very useful to see. So I did a scholarly search for review articles. I, I like review articles. Those are high levels of evidence uh, discussing Huang Leon, and I found no clinical review papers at all in my search. I did find some reviews, but they were more like reviews of the effects, and then when I looked into them, it was just basically a grouping of the animal and bench studies, so I, I didn't consider it a, a clinical review in any way, shape, or form. Um, so... I, the research isn't there. And, and like I said, this is a almost a purely Chinese medical herb. And we, f we find that when we see that, we see a lot of research in China, which doesn't always get translated into the U.S., but we don't see a lot of Western research in it. And, and this is supported by both the World Health Organization monograph and WebMD, uh, which actually I think is a pretty good source of information. Not, not perfect, but pretty good. Um, and both say there are no research-supported clinical uses for this herb. So, and that was my finding when I, when I did research on this, which is disappointing, but it, it, you know, it is what it is. Having said that, there were lots of bench research in some animal studies regarding various reported uses, but these are not clinically relevant at this time. So um, remember, I'm not a big fan of bench research in animal studies because just because something happens to a cell on the bench or a, a rat uh, when injected, does not mean that it will have any of, of the same effects on a human. So I do not consider those clinical studies at all. Uh, in addition, most of these studies, uh, I, I found one or two maybe that had the whole herb extracts, but most of these were on berberine, or I told you about that quercetin. Um, you know, you know they, were, they were constituents of the herb rather than the herb itself. And, and I, I don't, again, I don't think that's incredibly clinically useful because what you're doing basically is making a drug from the herb and then seeing if that drug has an effect. That, to me, does not translate to the herb having the same effect or not. So I'm not a huge fan of, of um, looking at the constituents and then extrapolating into the herb um, helps the person. But it all points in a direction which I think is useful and can point to further research. So useful for that purpose. Uh, so that's it for the science. There wasn't a lot for the science. Let's get into drug-herb interactions. A and again, not a ton, but we'll, we'll have a conversation. Wangliang does appear to inhibit cytochrome P450-2D6. So um, we haven't had a, a, an in-depth cytochrome P450 conversation, but this is one of the targets for drug-herb interactions. It is an enzyme uh, in primarily in the liver that helps metabolize drugs. Uh, which helps them go to excretion. And uh, there are lots of different subtypes. So this is subtype 2D6, which is like, I think the third or fourth most common subtype. But, uh, you know, the first most, the most common 3A4 is about 60% of drugs. And then um, it drops down to about 20 or 30% of the drugs. So this isn't going to be a huge drug-herb interaction issue. 
So some of its constituents, however, such as berberine, may also inhibit or induce, according to one rat study, cytochrome P453A4. So that is the most common one. So when I see 3A4 being affected, I'm much, my ears perk up on drug-urban interactions. But this is all based on bench and animal research. We actually don't know if it has any effect in humans. And uh, again, it's just berberine you know, or another constituent. It's not the herb. And the, the question is, is there enough berberine in the herb to actually affect cytochrome P453A4? We don't know the answer to that. So I'm, I'm not there to say this is an actual interaction. Again, that same study, um, one of the same studies that looked at 3A4 and berberine also said it inhibits P-glycoprotein, uh, though there was no evidence of following around as a whole herb doing so. So P-glycoprotein is a transporter protein in the cells. And again, this is very much looked at as a marker for drug-herb interactions. Uh, we look at really four big markers for drug-herb interactions. Cytochrome P450 is one of them. P-glycoprotein is another one. Uh, and then uh, the other two are uh, going to be protein binding and uh, uh, neurotherapeutic index, which are more on the drug side than the herb side at this point. So... Uh, so there's some evidence of potential drug-herb interactions, but I don't think it's very strong evidence. All right, berberine, a constituent of Wangman, was shown to prevent cyclophosphamide-induced cystitis in rats. So cystitis is an inflamed bladder in rats, and uh, cyclophosphamide can induce that, and if you put in berberine, it can prevent it from doing that. That would be what we consider a positive interaction, but again, constituent rats, not relevant to humans in any way, shape, or form. WebMD says Huangmian may decrease the breakdown of cyclosporine in the body. Um, I did not see a ton of evidence to support that. They're, they probably found a, a study that said that. Gardner and McGuffin, if you're not familiar with them, this is a book put out by, I think, the American Herbal Producers Association and looks at the safety of herbs. This is a big book and well-researched and, and I think very solid grounds. And it says this herb is an A interaction class, meaning no clinically relevant interactions are expected. And I would agree with that assessment based on what I've seen on drug-herb interactions. So I, I wouldn't be super worried about drug-herb interactions. Um, just when I teach drug about drug-herb interactions, I do often teach about my... My advice is when you're doing herbs and drugs together is start low, go slow. So start low doses of the herbs and slowly build them up to therapeutic levels. That's great advice in general, even when there are no clinically relevant interactions expected. So what are some concerns about this, about this herb? According to Bensky, because of its strong, bitter, and, and his team, I should say, I shouldn't leave his team out here, <laughs> so Bensky and his team, because of its strong, bitter, cold, and drying properties, it should be used with caution in those with patterns of cold, yang deficiency, or yin deficiency, especially those with cold from deficiency of the spleen and stomach. So again, these are very sort of technical Chinese approaches to this, uh, but makes a lot of sense from a Chinese point of view. They continue with a translation from harm and benefit in the Materia Medica. Strictly forbidden for illness due to cold from deficiency. As a rule, this herb is contraindicated for all of the following conditions. Patients with blood and chi deficiency, spleen and stomach weakness, insomnia and fright due to blood deficiency, yet appearing with restless heat and thirst, postpartum insomnia, fever due to blood deficiency, 
and diarrhea with abdominal pain, pox and sores in children who have diarrhea due to yang deficiency, and insufficiency of true yin leading to internal heat and restless irritability. So all of that that was just said is kind of summarized in what I already said, basically. So it just kind of, I think, says in a little bit more force. Uh, so it's an interesting approach to that. So that was the translation. Uh, and then they also, from another text called The Rectification of the Menia Materia Medica, basically says if the tongue coat is not thick, yellow, and greasy and covers the entire tongue, this herb should not be used wantonly. I like that word, wantonly. So uh, that kind of goes against Huang earlier. We talked about Huang saying it could be thick or thin, yellow and greasy. Uh, uh, so, you know, again, if it's thin, yellow and greasy, don't use it wantonly. I think that's probably fair. Make sure everything is, in, is working well. Um, this herb does have numerous adverse reactions, including transient diarrhea, abdominal distension, boroborygmus. That's the, the moving of the stomach. You hear the gurgling of it. That's boroborygmus things moving, polyuria, so that's uh, a lot of your excessive urination, loss of appetite, vomiting, nausea, and epigastric discomfort, so discomfort in sort of the upper abdomen would be, would be that. It and its main constituent berberine can be injected, and that has its own set of reactions uh, that we need to be aware of. Since we can't really inject this in most of the most of the United States, and I think most uh, in the world, uh, except for China and Japan and a few other exceptions. There are some states that do allow injections, uh, but I'm not going to get too much into the injection aspect of this. Brandon Wiseman agrees with these overall concerns and says, Huanglian is very bitter and cold, so excessive doses or prolonged use can easily damage the spleen and stomach. It is contraindicated in spleen stomach vacuity cold, and it should be used with care in yin vacuity with damage to the liquid because this is drying, so you don't want to damage the liquid anymore. And finally, Chen and Chen largely agrees with these concerns and adds that it is relatively safe but may cause the following adverse effects. Allergic reactions and rashes, dizziness, headache, tinnitus, nausea and vomiting, palpitations, shortness of breath, abdominal fullness, diarrhea, and lower red blood cells. And finally, Gardner McGuffin says it is a safety class 2A herb and it should not be used during pregnancy. They continue to say that, the mo that most of the safety concerns of this herb are based on studies of berberine and other alkaloids and may not apply to the whole herb. So this is one of the reasons why I love Gardner McGuffin is because they don't take a study on berberine and then say, well, because berberine is the biggest constituent of coppice, which it isn't, you know, the biggest constituents are carbohydrates and proteins and all sorts of other things other than berberine. Berberine is a very teeny tiny portion of, of it. And because berberine is affecting, uh, does all these things, then this herb has to do all those bad things too. And it just isn't true. And so I like that Gardner and McGuffin kind of call that out very specifically here in this regard. All right, well, that is pretty much our whole presentation. Thank you. We're, timing is really good. I would like to remind you, if you're listening to this podcast, when you buy from Amazon, please use the banner ad on our homepage at superbsherbs.com. If you did like this podcast, please do us a big, huge favor. Give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. Really would appreciate it. Thank you. 
And as always, you can get in touch with me at drgreg at spurbsherbs.com or at our website, www.spurbsherbs.com. And that again is S-P-E-R-B-S-H-E-R-B-S.com or it's the title of the podcast, Spurbs Herbs. Thank you. And as usual, we have our modern the proceeding was presented by Dr. Greg Sperber. We would like to thank Janelle for all her support and everybody else who contributed to this program. Janelle. Timothy Dobbins. Roger Campbell. 